Today I'm going to be interviewing JP and Angie Dow, who work for Gospel for Asia UK, and you can find out more at their website, gfauk.org. We're going to be talking about their experiences with working with churches in Asia. We're going to talk through mission, worship, liturgy, and of course, church planting. Enjoy the episode. So I'm, I'm an Englishman, and though uh, my parents are from Vietnam, so I live like this. And I've been with GFA, me and my wife, for um, over 10 years now. And we've been in charge of the office, leading the office here for almost seven years. Um, and that basically means that we are the, uh, the head servants of the rest of the team. You know, as Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, we are here to serve our guys here, the little community here we have. And in a sense, get out of the way so that they can serve Jesus the best they can in accomplishing what Jesus wants us to do here on earth. Mm. Fantastic. And just before uh, we started recording, you were sharing a little bit about uh, the, the response to uh, this coronavirus uh, emergency. Um, could you share a little bit about what uh, GFA and you guys have been, have been doing this past few months? Yeah, so as you know, um, lockdown kind of hit the world around March time and um, everyone was self-isolating and at home. Um, now, in some of the places that we work there, that has caused a lot of problems for people's normal lives. There are a lot of people who have to get a new job every single day. And they will go out in the morning and they will find a job. And uh, with the money they earn that day, they will feed their families in that evening. It's very literally hands to mouth at seven days a week for them. And, and often they have moved from a, a rural area and gone to a city with the hopes of finding uh, a good job, but then they've ended up in a slum and had to do this every day. There's millions of them. And in some of these countries, when lockdown happened, suddenly there was no work and no way to earn money, no way to get food. Uh, so they were forced to go back to their villages, otherwise face starvation. But in a lot of these countries, the, um, all the transport was, was shut down as well. So there was mass exodus of millions of people who were walking um, across country or countries to go back to where they came from. Uh, many cases, hundreds of kilometers, sometimes literally thousands of kilometers. Many didn't make it all the way home. And many, um, some of them would have contacted many, like 100 people before they got home and then exhibited coronavirus symptoms. So you can imagine what that could have done for contagion. Um, and so what our people have been doing, are on the, on, over there um, we work in partnership with Believers Eastern Church and they have been um, doing everything they can to get food to these millions of starving people. So um, the Bridge of Hope Centres, the Children's Centres have transformed into community kitchens, they're cooking food. So not only do the children who are getting a meal before every day still getting a meal, but everyone else in the community is able to as well. Um, there also are people are going to the highways and train stations where these people, these, all these travellers are, are travelling and giving food packets and water packets uh, to them. And they've met people on the highways who just go up to our people and say, like, we've been, we've been walking for so many, so many kilometres. We're so hungry. My family's so hungry. Do you have any food? Do you have any water? And we're able to bless them and, um, and do it all in, um, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Mm. And there was a there was even, I saw a picture of one guy who um, been traveling 800 kilometers and he had like a rickshaw thing with like a trailer bed and it had, he had his wife and his child on it. And they were just kind of um, uh, laid down, very famished and weary looking. And they were just like, we've come all this way. We're trying to get home. Do you have anything? And we were able to give them some, a water packet and some, some water packets and food packets and everything. And it, it's really um, uh, opened a lot of doors to talk to people at this difficult time. Um, I know that's a small blessing uh, for this, um, but if you if you just think about the Asian concepts uh, context, um, like for me over here, you know, when when I when I when lockdown happened here, my first silly thought was, well, how am I going to get clean water? But of course, I live in England. You know, I'm always going to have clean water. You know, I've got we've got plumbing, and we've got taps. But if you are in a slum and you have to self isolate and you lock down, you don't have this magic tap that brings water into your home and you don't have this magic toilet that takes your waste away you know you have to go out and to get all that stuff done and everything like that um, and I think we've spoken before I visited um, leprosy colonies um, in Asia where we have people who help the, le the people who have leprosy there and for us lockdown is temporary but if you have leprosy you, you self-isolate for life 
you know. So it kind of realized, made me realize for me that I, actually, although it's been difficult for me and an inconvenience for me, there are some people whose um, lives were that bad anyway before, or some people's lives who are literally looking like they may end because of this lockdown, you know. It's been a very difficult time, a lot of despair, a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of frustration. But it's in that that we've been able to minister help and life and hope. And in the midst of these times, our people have been given government permissions to go and help because they have such a good reputation. You know, they, they always follow um, what the government wants. You know, they work with the local police and the council and things like that. Um, so they were given permissions to go out. Um, and they've been able to uh, help a lot of people. And they all, not only with food, but also with the actual self-isolation and social distancing concepts. Because this is a very foreign concept for an Asian culture. And so they did things like they drew, they drew um, chalk circles on the ground. So people knew where they could stand when they queued up. You know, they gave masks and hand sanitizer and taught people about that. And they taught people about popping into your, your elbow and things like that. Um, of course, in some cases, um, some of the people, they, they fear the starvation much more than they fear coronavirus. So I've seen pictures where they've just come and mobbed up people, you know, because they're just so desperate for food. And I was talking to our metropolitan, K.P. Hannan, and he was saying that he told one of the bishops, because one of the bishops were just, probably just others were too, he was going out amongst the people and not being completely social distancing. Um, and the metropolitan said to him, like, look, be, uh, be careful, make sure that you are, you look, you're being safe because you could be putting your life at risk. Mm-hmm. And this bishop said back to him, apparently, he said, I, I died already anyway. You know, so, so not that we're advocating unsafe behavior or that we're spurning social distancing because we are teaching about that. Um, but just to illustrate that his, um, in his mind, he, he's, he was crucified with Christ. It wasn't alone him who lived, but Christ lived in him. And he, these people were important. And he, he was laying down his life for the sake of these people. Um, but, but generally, they are, making, they are trying to be quite firm on social distancing because it is an important thing uh, right now, especially with all the, all the cases. India was formerly in cases, uh, for example. Mm-hmm. So um, some of these places are... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's where infection can rise a lot because of the number of people and the proximity in, in which they uh, dwell and because many homes there'll be like 16, 17 people living. Um, the, just the lockdown self-isolation concepts just are, are slightly irksome, you know, in, uh, in many ways. So our people, they've just been doing everything they can to, to demonstrate the love of Christ um, in word and deed um, in, in these ways. Um, and they've been calling up just everyone. So... Um, they don't discriminate by um, by religion, so they're just calling everyone up in their villages. You know, our, our priests. I mean, you know, whether it's uh, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, agnostics, whatever it is, um, they're just calling them up and saying, like, "Are you okay? How can we help? Can we pray for you? Do you have food? Do you need water? Is anyone sick?" And just trying to be a blessing to everyone, everyone that's there, basically. Because we think that's what Christ would have us do. Mm. Oh, thanks, uh, JP, for sharing uh, that. And it's it's just really encouraging to hear of uh, Christians going on the advance in love and service of others in the name of Jesus, uh, rather than retreating. And I think it's really important for us uh, in this country uh, as the church to hear what's going on around the world and, and to hear what's going on actually in places that don't always make the front page or, or any pages uh, in the press here, actually. Um, so thanks for, for sharing some of that. If there's someone who wants, who's listening to this, who wants to support what you're doing, uh, particularly this COVID response, is there a way that people could do that? Yeah, just go to our website, uh, gfauk.org, mm-hmm. and pretty much everything you need is on there. Um, also, um, my wife has just arrived, so um, I'm going to bring her in uh, on this. Hey. Hi. 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 Great to see you. I wanted to ask you guys about uh, the relationship between kind of mission agencies, I'll call them, and the church. So in, in our country, in England, you tend to see, you know, here's, here's a church over here on this side, um, you know, like TCC, for example. And here's a mission agency over here that's doing, you know, mission stuff and doing all these sorts of things. Um, we feel that in the Bible, in the scriptures, in Acts 13, uh, you see that it was the, the church at Antioch that sent Paul and Barnabas um, as missionaries. And it was the, the church and the apostles who said, we want to remember the poor and help them. And it was the church through its deacons that uh, fed those who were hungry and needed food. So we've 
we kind of think that it makes sense that the church is God's agency to do all his will here on earth. So, um, like you said, we, we're in partnership with Believers Eastern Church, and they basically do anything that you could possibly want to do as a Christian. You know? So um, it is a church. It is holding um, worship services. You know, they have Eucharistic assemblies, congregations, and um, uh, priests and bishops all doing those sorts of things. But it is also um, sending workers into places of need. It is uh, rescuing children out of poverty and giving them education. It is ministering to people in leprosy colonies. It is uplifting people uh, in, in the slums who are, are stuck there. It is uh, training women uh, in literacy. It is holding medical camps to, to help people with medical care, but also educate them uh, on that. Um, it's digging clean water wells, uh, I think more than any, any other entity on the planet, actually, uh, at this time. It's doing just anything you could possibly, possibly think of. Um, and we kind of feel like that is, uh, that's, a, that's a good model, a healthy model, but we also think it's the long lasting model. Because if you think of history and um, 2,000 years or more of church, depending on how you define it, um, you kind of see that the thing that's lasted to 2,000 years is, and plus, is the church. You know, um, other entities, they tend to come and go. Um, but it is the church that has lasted and stayed all this time. And we think it's because the church has the life of Christ in it. It has the, the worship or that God has ordained uh, flowing through it. You know, it has all those things. It's not just out with um, a, a, like a business objectives per se, but it is there, um, you know, for God's purpose. And in the, if you want to be really, um, I don't know, uh, I guess sacramental about it, um, we think that the, the, the church is the extension of the incarnation, really. You know, the scripture talks about us as the body of Christ on earth. And so in that sense, we, we, are, um, we, we adhere to be Christ on earth for those people. Not that we are Christ in the sense that we can't, we're, not gonna, we're not the ones who forgive sins, obviously. We're not the ones who die on the cross, obviously. Um, but we are not separated from Christ either. You know, we, are, we, are, we are his body and therefore his agent, uh, agency uh, on earth. Yeah, I just wanted to, to add just one little thought. I think JP took most of the things I would have said, but there's just one thing I wanted to add which is, I mean, we love mission agencies, like mm. all the big mission agencies yep. out there. We, we love them. We love what they are doing. Um, I think sometimes, not, not because of the mission, mission agencies themselves, but um, just because of the way that we as people perceive them, we kind of think, oh, I am here, and that mission, mission agency over there, they are doing mission. I don't mm -hmm. have to do it, um, which is a real problem. It's not with the mission agencies themselves, mind you, um, but it is just a, a mindset we get ourselves into that, oh, I'm not a missionary, therefore I don't have to be telling the gospel on a regular basis to my coworkers, my friends, you know, all of these people. Um, and whether, whether it's sort of subconscious or a conscious thought, I think it still is there. Um, and I think it's important to, to bring up that the, the, the point of what we are doing with GFA World and, and Believers Eastern Church is that um, we want everyone really to be missionaries, if you know what I mean. Um, and we, we happen to focus on an area of the world where there aren't very many Christians, but it doesn't mean that we, we don't also want to emphasize that we should be doing the same thing here in this country. So, Yeah, amen. Thank you. That's a really, really helpful point. And it just made me think about Ephesians 4 and think about this with regards to, to my role as a, as, a, as, a, as a church leader. And it's you know, the ascended Christ has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So I really like that point, Angie, that, you know, we, we don't siphon mission off to others, but we're all called to, uh, to, to reach out to the world with Jesus. And of course, looking at the gifts that we've all been given and, and using them uh, for God's glory. Uh, really, really helpful. And I like that, uh, JP, uh, that, that sense of union with Christ, you know, is, is the good news. We, when we become Christians, Amen. we're united to Jesus um, and, you know, united to one another in the church. And maybe that's something we could talk about later. But um, that, like you said, we are Christ's body his representatives are on the earth as, as church and because it's good for us to think about that and to think seriously about what that what that means and um, so thank you that's really helpful well, I want to kind of just 
um, uh, follow up on, on some of what you've been saying there. Um, I, I read or I've heard GFA supports kind of 12,000 church planters or church plants in the heart of the 1040 window. And as you guys have kind of been engaging with these churches around the world and around Asia, like have you have you seen kind of some distinctives or some things that you're like, oh, you know, that that's working for want of a better word, or you know, there's something that the, the church in the UK could learn uh, from. Could you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, we've had the privilege of visiting some of the, the congregations that we are uh, partnered with over in these other countries. And um, it's hard to describe, but when you meet these guys, there's just so much authenticity there. You know, so it's this place. So we have these, these, these churches, you know, it is um, the, the Eucharist assemblies, you know, there's emphasis on sacraments and the Eucharist and things like that, um, which immediately puts a, a certain concept in your head, you know, in terms of like high and low church and things like that. But when you meet the people, all those kind of preconceptions are destroyed because you kind of see the, these, the priests, they, they're so full of Jesus and they're just so humble as well. And they, they love their people. They, they, you should see when they walk amongst, you know, the, the congregation or, or people in the areas that they're, they, um, they're near. People just run up to them and they just love on them, you know, and they ask them for prayer right there and then whatever. It's really quite cool. Um, and they... You, you meet the, the, the people in the congregations and they're just so happy, just so glad, you know, it's like Jesus has given them so much hope and they have just so much, just so much hope, you know, in who Jesus is and what he's done for them and what he, what he does for them and what he shall do for them and all this. And you, you meet the, um, some of the students who will be like this and you, or even the church, you hear the routines, the, the prayer traditions they have, you know, praying three times a day, praying on Tuesday nights, fasting prayer every Friday night and then a late night prayer meeting that I think goes to midnight or so on a, on a, on a Friday night. Um, it's just so, um, it's just so real. And it's stuff like, like, I think, well, I could do that, but I don't. And I can't figure out why I don't do that, you know, but for them, you just get a sense that it is their life. You know, they, they, they've given everything for this, means everything to them. You know, when we've visited churches, uh, sometimes it's been on a weekday or on a Saturday or whatever. And there's these hundreds of people in this church and, you're realizing that they, some of them are daily wage laborers, which means that in order to be there at church, um, they're giving up a significant portion of what would be a work day and they're losing money in a sense, you know, but they're willing to do that because it is the, the worship of the living God that they come for, you know. I don't know Wait, if you've seen anything. Sorry, so you're saying like people will give up work to worship? Yeah, not, not in a way that gets, not, not like disobeying their employer, but they just, no. you know, they get a new job. And they'll just not get that job that day because they're, they're going to come to worship so, God, yeah. Because so, uh, I think this is just a really important point because I think one of the things we, sh we you know, we can struggle with in the UK is this kind of, well, we talk about work-life balance or maybe even church work balance and things like that. Um, and sometimes kind of work will um, overrule church, if you like, or worship. Or, or we might say, um, look, I, I'm kind of, too tired to come to church like it's been a really busy busy uh, week with work and look i think there are some incredible pressures um on 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 workers in the uk and um, but, but when it when it starts to affect uh, our, our commitment uh, to to church and to worship it's going to be questions about that so i think that there's that's just a really interesting thing to to hear about there jp well if i can just comment on that what do you want to um, well, I wasn't going to comment on that. I was going to add other things. So you go first. Okay, if I comment on that. Um, but I don't talk in absolutes. I'm not saying that you, you can never be too tired to go to church, you know, because sometimes I'm too tired to go to church and everything. Yeah. Um, however, the general rule, um, if, if you read a book, I think it's called The Benedict Option. I think it's where we get this from. Um, he makes the point that you, your life will revolve around some routine, some right. liturgy, if you will. And for a lot of us, it is the, the work routine. Um, and then for some of us, it's the sports times routine or whatever it is, things like that. Um, and they made the suggestion, well, wouldn't it make more sense to, to order your life around the church routine, the church calendar, you know, mm -hmm. so the rhythm of Sundays um, or Saturday night prayer meetings or Tuesday night prayer meetings or even the feast days, you know, time of celebration. You just think about how um, when coronavirus lockdown happened, um, everything shut down. And for a lot of people, they felt like, and it did, you know, it kind of just felt like life just stopped.
for these you know seven months whatever it is and life hasn't gone on there's that meme on facebook that says um I, i'm having a birthday but i'm not counting this year because i didn't use it you know and people are shocked that we're in august or september now sorry so you're like, oh, I don't, I'm fucking, you know. uh, they're shocked in september when all this stuff hasn't been done and you see that part of that is because their their concept of time revolved around the work routine the holidays routine all these sorts of things um but the church has always had a calendar and a routine mm. that helps us to order our lives. And it kind of makes sense to order our lives, everything else around church, rather than try and fit church in. If, if God is the most important thing, if Jesus is the most important thing, surely that would dictate a lot about how I, how I order my time. So again, I'm not saying that you can't ever be too tired to go to church or there aren't some pressures. I mean, again, I, I, I don't make it to church on, on, on every single Sunday or whatever. Um, but I think that is something that is good for us to think about yeah uh, absolutely and yeah i want to just echo all that you, you just said and i think a, a great chapter actually for people to read is leviticus 23 on this because um you know it it's kind of shows the, the 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 year in the life of israel but it starts actually with sabbath so the weekly pattern of sabbath you know one day rest and, and then six days labor it's almost sort of saying that the year is built on the principle of, of sabbath rest and um, perhaps you can think about that not only just our year built on the principle of sabbath rest in in jesus but perhaps our weeks yeah. as well and even our days um, and that's something i've been thinking a lot about recently and perhaps you know on a weekly basis it's you know we come to, to together as the church on a sunday the first day of our week to enjoy the rest that jesus gives us uh, through one another and one of the things we've been thinking about uh, at one of the tccs and um, is actually how do we enable rest for one another on a Sunday so that we don't come, uh, you know, uh, to primarily to get, although there's lots that we will get if we're all givers. Um, but, but what can we give and how can we enable the rest of Jesus uh, for, to and for one another? But then even on that daily basis, you know, Jesus has come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. And like each day beginning, beginning the day by receiving the rest from Jesus and kind of working out of that. So I think that there's something brilliant there. And big up for the uh, for the liturgical year as well. It's something that something that we've lost, but certainly for us Anglicans, um, you know, liturgical years right there. And you the you know, some people might kind of laugh at it, but it's a way, isn't it, of just like you've said, JP, saying we want to shape our year around Jesus and his good news rather than sports or, or even holidays. Or kind of shopping days which is so tempting to do well not shopping that i'm not tempted to revolve my life around shopping and um, but maybe you know yeah. sports or things like that but say nah jesus and um, so big up for that angie you wanted to say please you want to you wanted yeah, to add sort of, some stuff sort of working off the back of the sort of the liturgical year and what you said about um sabbaths and things i just wanted to sort of um, my, my favorite thing, I think, about, um, about this whole concept is that in Old Testament, you see that, that God commanded feasts. Yes. I, you yes. know, like he basically said, you will have a party and you <laughs> will enjoy yourself, <laughs> you know, which is pretty fantastic as well. And we see that again in the liturgical years, there are times where we, we are meant to celebrate, you know, and that's a great thing that I think we often miss out on if we're not doing that. So it's all just like, plodding ahead and there are no sort of um, points that we can you know we can stop and, and actually take time to celebrate what the Lord has done uh, which is one of the things I really like about the church calendar I just wanted to point that out um, but the other thing I was going to say is that I think um, especially in the west we kind of look at ourselves as silos like I am over here you are over there uh, never the twain shall meet uh, you know like like, okay, we'll come together on a Sunday, we'll say hi, we'll be polite, and we'll go away again. And I know, I know that it's not the same in your church. And in a lot of churches, I kind of feel that way. We've, we've been to our fair share of, of congregations, you know, just as, as almost tasters, you know, just on like a Sunday or something like that. It kind of felt like that. Um, on the mission field, it's a lot different. Um, when, when there is a church there, it's not just a, we come on Sunday and then we go away again and we never talk to each other. It is really a family, if you know what I mean. Um, and that's something that they really emphasize there. So if, if you know, we roll up on a Thursday um, and, you know, normally a church wouldn't be packed out on a Thursday, you know, whatever it is. 
but they will come to meet us because they know we are also part of their family. Uh, so if they can, they will make the time to do that. Uh, which is really special to me. And I think sometimes we forget that we are a family and we should be looking out for each other. And like you said, we should be um, looking for ways that we can, we can serve others, you know, especially on a Sunday. And I think you're right. If we all do, you know, look outward instead of inward, if we all do look how we can serve each other, we will actually end up getting more of our needs fulfilled anyway. So. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Well, it, sound, it sounds to me that uh, what, what you're saying about the, the church uh, uh, in, in Asia is that there is this devotion to prayer, apostles teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship. Like I've, I've heard that somewhere before <laughs> um, and it's, <laughs> it's encouraging though that it's like it's, it's in a way so simple and JP you sort of alluded to that it's like it's quite easy to do this stuff, you know, why, but why aren't we? And perhaps we've been formed and shaped as Christians in the UK uh, in, in unhelpful ways in, in recent times. And, but actually the answer is going back to Scripture and seeing what, what God's vision for church is in Scripture and saying, let's do it um, together, you know, not individually, but together. So I love what you're, you're saying there. Can I ask a little bit and related in a way, but it's interesting, you know, we're, 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 I'm talking to people who are kind of missionaries and, and uh, supporting people in mission, but we've actually talked a lot about worship. And I think sometimes those two things can be separated, worship or mission. Would you see them as together? Like, why have we spent so much time talking about worship when we're talking about mission? <laughs> no, okay. Um, I've got to quote one of Angie's favorite verses. It's a verse, it quotes from John Piper in his book. It's not a verse. Not a verse. Yeah, <laughs> Let the nation be glad, where he says, um, Isn't a biblical mission verse. Is because worship. Sorry, yeah, that's I right, yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. <laughs> You're the editing problem, that person. You've got to, it's your problem. So, yeah. um, it says, uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. Yes. Like, that's the purpose. Think of why why are we going out and and telling people about jesus well it's so that they can be his so they can make along to him they can be freed from the world and from satan and from death and belong to him now what did god say to moses when in the foreshadowing um passover and deliverance of israel what did he tell say moses was the purpose and the sign of the deliverance it was that they would go and worship him on the mountain you know, freedom wasn't just to do whatever they wanted, but it was to worship Christ. And in fact, there's a quote, I can't remember who said it, but they said something like, um, doing whatever you want, whenever you want, isn't freedom, that's slavery. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what James says about we are led away, we're not, we're not um, tempted by God, but by, we're led away by our own lusts. And that gives birth to, you know, etc. cetera. Um, you can see that we, we were designed, we were made to obey God, to obey Jesus. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it says that he, he learned, obe he learned um, obedience to the thing that suffers to be the author of salvation for all those who would obey him as well. You know, that's what we're, that's what we're called for. We're made for worship. And you think about what worship is. Now, in the West, there's been a bit of a, um, you know, there's been scholasticism um, and there's been the Industrial Revolution. And it's a long story, but we've got to a place where um, with kind of the Greek mindset, we like the, the lecture idea you know so um people tend to i'm not bashing churches by the way or however you church i'm just 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 some comments from things i've observed you know but um you, you tend to come to a church and you expect that you will sing and you will receive the sermon you know so we talk about literally being in some churches a sermon sandwich you know as opposed to as opposed to the bishop's bells and whistles and whatever but a sermon sandwich and um the, the pinnacle of it is the sermon so that they come there and they learn and they in a sense encounter God by knowing learning about him and learning learning who he is through that message and that's the main thing um the issue that kind of well there's two couple of issues that kind of has one issue is that the young people today they can kind of get a lot of that out in the world they can get the music you know at a concert and then get the information at a lecture and then they're gonna ask what, where, where, where else do I come and also, once they've learned to all, they think, well, why else do I come? <laughs> you know, um, a lot of them are actually leaving the church. The millennials are leaving churches today. Um, but they are interesting, craving liturgy. That's a whole different story, you know. Um, the other problem I kind of see with that is 
church then becomes about the people, about coming and educating the people. Now that, that should happen at church, but that was what becomes all about. What we are kind of learning is that, um, and I know this sounds simple, but worship is about God. <laughs> you know, coming to church isn't for the sake of the people primarily, um, but it's for people to worship God. So it's not primarily that you come and you learn things, although you do. It's not primarily, I don't think, to come so that um, you can be evangelized. That, that happens, but I don't think that's primarily because you can evangelize out on the street. What you can't come, what you can't do um, out on the street and other times, well, you could, but, you know, but strictly speaking, what, what, what is there for a Sunday is for people to gather as the people of God and to worship God, to meet God. God is the audience. It, it's, it's, God, is, God is the person it's there for, you know? So what, so what I've been learning is other churches, they do, um, uh, they won't have modern songs or even hymns. You know, they'll just be like a very ancient liturgical chant in the churches. And uh, I've been to those. And for a while I was like, okay, well, this is, this is actually a bit boring. I don't like this. But then it occurred to me, actually, but this isn't for me to like. <laughs> it's not for me. It's not, I'm not the reason this was developed. This is, big, this is for God. This is for God. The whole thing is about being there for God, to meet God, and to encounter God, you know, through the teaching word and through the Eucharist, to actually meet him there. And you can kind of see this in scripture. You know, when Moses developed the priesthood and the tabernacle, it says he was shown the pattern on the mountain, and Hebrews tells us it was a reflection of the heavenly realities. So whatever that means, there is, whatever he did was a reflection, a copy of something in heaven that he was shown, you know, which is really interesting to me. Yeah. And so you have these priests, you have, you have this sense, you know, you have all these things happening. Um, and what's interesting is in Revelation, you get a sneak peek of that as well. You know, you see that there is this very liturgical worship, you know, the, uh, the elders, um, 24 elders bow down, cast the crowns, and then the angels bow down and they say this set thing, yes. you know, and then everyone else bows down and says this set thing. And constantly the four seraphim are bowing down saying, holy, 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 holy. Holy, 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 you know, and you kind of realize that's because this is what God asked for, is what he ordained. You know, I'm not saying we have to be Levitical priests and follow that, but I'm saying that I think that it gives you an indication of what God desires, because this is what he said to his people, this is what I want, you know. Yes. And then coupled with the revelation, you kind of see like, well, this is what's happening in heaven, it seems, right now, you know, because in Isaiah you see the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy. And then you see the same thing in Revelation, you know, thousands of years later, which leads me to, leads me to believe it's all happening right now. Mm. So in, in our churches, the Buddhist church, um, they use incense. And someone asked me, um, so why do you, they use incense? And I, I can go through, I can talk about scripture, I can talk about church traditions, but I realized for me, the main reason, and I think the quickest answer is because they're doing it in heaven right now, <laughs> you know, and we want to be a part of that because... In our churches, we don't come on a Sunday and say, we're going to start worship now. We say we will join worship, the worship that's always going on, always happening through all of creation. And we are joining with, Hebrew says, the, the, um, the assembly of the firstborn and the spirits of those made righteous. Yeah. And you kind of get the impression that we're coming there to worship with all the Christians who have gone before us, who have died, you know, the saints, if you will, who are in heaven. They're also with us, worshipping in this wonderful heavenly liturgy. That's what worship, I think, is about. It's about meeting God, worshiping God, being lifted out of the world and into heaven for a few precious moments and to encounter the divine reality and in so um, in increase our knowledge, our likeness of and with Christ, increase and empower our union with Christ. And so, you know, be conformed to the image of God, which is what his design is for us. Oh, wow. Before I, before I comment on any of that, I mean, there's so, oh, wow, so much to, to, to chew on there. Angie, any, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, I think, again, JP covered most of it, but I do want to give sort of half a thought, just <laughs> half of one. It's an unfinished thought. Um, but I've been thinking about worship a lot lately, actually, because there's so many different worship styles, if you know what I mean. Uh, and I think in the West, we, we tend to, um, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but we tend to um, equate worship with love. Um, and so when we sing and when we, when, we, um, when we come together, it's about God's love for us and our love for God. But I think it's more than that, if you know what I mean. If you look at like 
Um, you know, I, I'll bring up an example that is easy to understand, although it's not a great example. Uh, when you look at like when people worship idols, it's mm -hmm. not love primarily, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Um, and it not, you know, we definitely, we shouldn't be worshiping idols, but <laughs> I think there's more to it than that, if you know what I mean. Um, more than just the sort of lovey-dovey, God loves us, we love God. Uh, but there's there's something else there I haven't quite figured out that it sort of transcends the love part. You know, love is very important, but I think there might be more there um, that you you can have um, when when we are worshiping. So. Wow, and and because one thing I was just thinking as you were speaking there is, um, I, I think scripture indicates that we we become like what we worship. So if we are yep. worshiping um, idols, you know, we're, we're going to become like that. Um, and, and likewise, I think there's, there's something formative about liturgy. I mean, liturgy, we've had conversations about liturgy before, like many times. And I think, you know, it's, I mean, every, one thing to say, an obvious point, every church has a liturgy, whether they, they think it or not. It's just how biblical is that liturgy? Like how, how faithful to God's vision for, for church life is that liturgy? Um, but it's, it's formative and we're making disciples when we, when we worship together. So lots is going on. I, I agree with that. Like lots is going on in our worship. And it is interesting, you know, sometimes I'll have conversations with, with people and perhaps even other church leaders where like, it, it's almost like, you know, suggest, suggesting that not much thought should go into our worship. You know, we could just kind of make it up as we go along, so to speak. And I just don't get that impression from the scriptures. It seems to be that God, cares about how we worship and um, because it's it's formative and it's doing something and as you are saying because it's for him like he knows what he wants in that sense um, and sometimes we we think we know better <laughs> like and just speaking as a church leader there's something so freeing about like you were saying jp getting caught up in what what's already going on um, and and making use of actually the liturgies that the church has produced throughout the centuries, you know, some great and wise Christians. And um, because it stops me from having to reinvent the wheel all the time, you know, every week coming up with the next entertaining thing. Uh, and I think it's important to say, you know, we, you know, perhaps some of an aversion to set, set prayers or set texts. And you've made the point really well. The Bible's full of that. And, you know, as you say, in heaven, how many times are they saying holy, 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 you know? Um, so thanks for that. That's just really, I'm sure lots, for those who are listening, lots to chew over and mull on there. Um, and do get into scripture about that and, and see, you know, what does God have to say about worship? And perhaps we could look at some, some liturgies that uh, other churches have produced. Uh, and again, big up uh, for the... Uh, uh, the, the Anglican Church says, so I'll have a look. Because one of the things that you were saying, actually, um, and I'll stop talking, but there's so much that I'm just thinking about after what you've said, and I hope it's true for others. Um, but, it, you know, in the Anglican Communion Service, there's a real emphasis, like, there's a, there's a strong point made that what we're doing here is, is, is caught up with what's going on in, in heaven. So, like, we'll say we join in with angels and archangels saying, holy, holy, holy. So that, at that point, we're making explicit. We're just joining in with what, like, there's a, there's a connection here between what's going on with heaven and, and what's going on in earth. And we're very much right. on outpost of heaven right here. And that's exciting. What a vision for church, eh? <laughs> <laughs> So that's just brilliant. Thanks for all that. Anything else? Just uh, any response to that or any, any further comments on, on worship? Um, well, just off the back of what you just said, so if it's not amazing, you can edit this part out. Um, <laughs> but what you said about people don't like sometimes the, road, the liturgy or whatever, um, a couple of thoughts came to mind. One was, um, obviously, I have a marriage relationship, you know, and I speak contemporary contemporaneous with my wife you know people talk about the relationship part of speaking with god and spontaneous prayer um but if i get an old poem written in i don't know in the 1900s or whatever and it's really romantic and i read it out to my wife she's not going to think like well that's dumb just going through the motion no, she appreciates that i have put a thought into this well-constructed premeditated yeah um, not there, but you know, whatever you call it, you know, adoration of my wife, you know, who deserves my adoration, you know, not in the same way that God is my adoration, but you know what I mean, you know, my, my love, whatever, my affection. Um, 
so there's that. And also um, in terms of um, uh, liturgical things that are repetitive, um, people say they lose meaning sometimes, um, which I agree is, is an issue. You have to teach the meaning and re-emphasize the meaning and everything so that people know. But God does that. You know, he was like, do this Passover, do it every year. Mm-hmm. And when your children ask you why, yes, them, so they would know why. Um, every time we hang up on the phone, me and my wife, almost without fail, we'll say, I love you, bye. Mm. Pretty much the same thing every single time. But I uh, I don't find it boring, maybe she does, you know, but I don't find it right. But like, it's, a, a, it's reaffirming, it's reconfirming. You know, it is, it is a comfort. It is, it is a, a, um, a familiarity that, that's helpful there. And you can kind of see that, so people argue against written prayers, against saying written prayers together because it's not, you know, it, it, they say it's not from the heart, it's someone else's words and all that. Um, but no one has a problem singing the same song off a hymn sheet at the same time together, yes. you know, because if you just sang spontaneous stuff, it would just be a bit of a mess really, you know, but when you sing together, um, there is a, a powerful unity in, in those words. And often they are prayerful words in a, in a song or a hymn that is sung to God. And it is the, the church with one voice glorifying God in that way. And they even say that when people sing together, their heartbeat beats start to synchronize because of the rhythm is mm-hmm. together, which is really interesting, you know, from um, what's well, really interesting uh, there. So, um, yeah, just a couple of thoughts for, to add on to the end of that for you. I, I, will, I won't be editing those out there. Brilliant. <laughs> Great thoughts. And, and again, just thinking at Acts 4, you know, you see the believers pray together um, and they, they, they pray Psalm 2, or at least a part of it. So you've got the set prayer yeah. there, but then off the back of that set prayer, the set text together, they, they pray um, some kind of, you know, um, uh, extemporary prayer, if you like, or, or uh, you know, they, they go on to pray more through their own words. And I think there, there's just that interesting combination of set prayers in the Psalms. And we might think about the Lord's Prayer as well, which the Lord's given us. Uh, to pray every day and um, but rather than limit us it's almost like those things free us and um and, and help us to 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 pray more widely as well they're almost like frameworks or platforms or springboards onto even more prayer rather than less prayer so yes you just use like very all salty terms there <laughs> <laughs> did i <laughs> All salty terms. Just bring board, framework. Oh, brilliant. Plug. All right. Well, you know, um, I, I think, you know, just for those who are listening, I think just a really important point there just to take take further is that relationship between worship and mission. And I think that Piper quote is, is really, really helpful, isn't it? Uh, mission exists uh, where, where worship doesn't. Um, uh, I've probably mauled that quote, but it's worse that effect. Uh, <laughs> um, and 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 for us to be, if we want to be, you know, missionary churches and, and uh, churches that are evangelised, and we do need to think very carefully about our our church life and and asking what are we inviting people into. Um, I think that's just really important. Well, look, a couple more questions as we finish. Just just perhaps one on leadership. And again, as you've been looking out to church leaders across the world and engaging with them, anything that you've noticed that we uh, listening to this or, or church leaders here in the UK could learn from? Should I start this yeah. one? Yeah. So um, for us, leadership is servanthood. So even the, the leaders, you know, department if you will in our u.s office is called servant quarters um and we kind of think that you know jesus he washed the disciples feet you know and this he said you call me lord but i do this and do this as you know follow my example and we try to thoroughly believe that um i went to one of our bishops consecrations in 2017 uh, 12 bishops consecrated metropolitan was there and it was um, a three-hour service. You know, there was there was incense, there was liturgy, there was chanting and stuff. Um, about halfway through, he just started to choke up and cry in the middle of this service. You know, he was standing at the front, you know, facing the altar and everything, and he just started to cry. And it was because he was just he kind of felt like he was maybe consecrating these bishops unto their deaths because of the way certain places are. Um, 
he was remembering that in the early church, when opposition came, the, the bishops died first. You know, they, they, they wore the authority of the church on their heads, and the, the shepherd's uh, crook, you know, I'm the shepherd. It's like, take me, I'm the guy, you know, I'm the one you want. Um, he was actually consecrating his son at the time as well. So there's that picture of Abraham offering up his, his son Isaac to the Lord, you know, um, and everything like that. Um, for us, the leaders are the ones who have or will, uh, well, usually have already laid down their lives, demonstrate that they will and have laid down their lives for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of his church, for the sake of those who need to know the Lord, basically. And they've given very much. So it's not like, um, in a sense, it's not in a sense uh, a top-down kind of um, uh, authoritarian, in a sense of everyone serves them kind of idea. And we do have that, you know, we, we believe that we should o obey our bishops and obey our leaders. You know, you read Ignatius, you know, you can see these ideas in there. Um, but it's because those people will, will serve, those bishops will serve the people and they will lay down their lives um, for, for those who are, their, their flock, those who are, those who are under them. Um, and you kind of see, as I've, I've, I've dealt with our, our GFA and BEC leaders, there is a, a great deal of down-to-earthness and humility, you know, so um, there's, there's, there's not really a lot of like bossy-bossiness, but there is a, we work together, we're in this together, you know, uh, yes, there is position and hierarchy and structure. We think that's important and um, we think that helps things work, especially when there's a lot of people in a big entity. Um, but none of them are conceited. None of them are thinking like, oh, I'm so important because I'm this thing or whatever. There's none of that. It is all about serving Christ and honoring Christ and doing it together, you know, in, in that way. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Or, and I do have any observations you want to... As well. Yeah, um, sort of along the same lines of what JP has already been saying. Um, I just wanted to point out like that. Um, let, let's take like a, a very sort of small, small picture form of leadership real quick, a parent and a child, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I read somewhere and unfortunately, I can't remember where it was. It was talking about the different kinds of parents. And it was saying that, you know, the best kind of parent is is one who has love and discipline working mm -hmm. together, um, you know, um, and we know, you know, as Christians, that it doesn't matter if you're a leader or if you're not a leader, the most important thing is loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. Um, and it's the same in a parent relationship with a child. And they said, the second best is when there is love and no discipline. Children still thrive in that kind of an environment, you know, yeah. if they are loved. Um, and then, of course, you have, you have, you know, discipline but no love. And that is, that is the one that, you know, children just start to fail, you know, in yeah. that kind of an environment. Um, and then there's no discipline and no love, you know, which is even worse, you yeah. know, in, in so many ways. Um, and so if you're thinking about um, leadership in general, you know, um, we, we kind of think of leaders, I think we're, we're trained in the West to think of leaders as people who give us rules <laughs> for no reason, you know, but actually, you know, when you do have a, a good leader, you know, they they do you know their their biggest thing is loving the people and that's why there is discipline yeah, yeah. So. and you, you see that that analogy to family it's very strong in scripture as well isn't it you know you see that um paul says to timothy you know you're my son in faith and he says to thessalonians you know i was like a nursing mother i was like a father to you yeah. um and he actually laments to the corinthians like you've had many teachers but not many fathers you know um, and that's an important thing that we, we, we have that, you know, that, that and the, the leaders, you know, we, we're, we're like when, I, when I'm here as a leader in the RUK office, and my instruction has been uh, look after the people, you know, not raise loads of sponsorships, raise loads of money, make a big noise. I try and do that too, obviously, you know, but the, the first instruction was look after the people, make sure they're okay, you know, feed them the word of God, you know, make sure that they, they are, are, um, are doing well with the Lord on those, all those kinds of things. Um, but I also kind of see that, um, like Andy said, we often see, see leaders as, um, as, as the bossy people, and that's often bad, o often seen as bad, you know, and it was often, often bad. But what we don't often realize that, um, is that it's good for us to have leaders, it's good for us to be under leaders. And in some ways, um, when I'm, I'm submitting to my leaders, um, I know that it's, it, it's good for me, you know, if I'm just out there to do whatever I want, that's actually not a very good place to be. But in being under authority, being in submission, that actually helps my heart uh, as well to train myself in godliness in that way, train myself in submission, in obedience, in practice for, you know, obey, obeying and, and listening to Christ. 
uh, as well, you know. So we, we have that kind of thought in it as well. Mm-hmm. That's really, really helpful and powerful. Um, I'm just obvious place to turn, but Hebrews 13 there, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. But then this is interesting. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. So not only is it a benefit to the leaders, but it's also a benefit uh, to, to, to us as well uh, on, the, on the leader's authority. Um, look, I want to, there's, there's so much more we could talk about, um, but we, we should end soon. Uh, and I want to end with this. Uh, one final question. You, 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 get, you both gave me uh, this uh, uh, a while back, and it's uh, by uh, Metropolitan K.P. Johannan, and it's Ideas to Grow Your Church. It's just a little, a little book. It's got, I think, 158 Ideas to Grow Your Church, and uh, just some amazing uh, pieces of advice in here. Um, but here's the thing. Number one is think church always. And number 158 is love your church. Holy church is Christ's body. Think church all the time. So he begins and ends really with the same piece of advice. He bookends this book on ideas to grow your church. And, and the thing is, he's doing it and they're doing it. Um, it's working. <laughs> But he bookends this, this book on Ideas to Go to Church with the advice to think church always. What, what does that mean for you? And what has God been teaching you about church in, in recent months and perhaps in lockdown especially? Hmm. Shall I go first? Or okay. So I mentioned earlier, um, we're kind of learning that the church is the extension of the incarnation, the body of Christ. Um, here on earth um, basically you know we are we are we, we do what Christ is doing you know if you know what I mean he does what he's doing through through the church mm-hmm. um, if you think of um, there's some interesting interesting concept which I think we've lost in our western modern scholasticism but you see it in um, when it, it talks about how Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham mm-hmm. you know Levi wasn't there but it consists that, that he did he did pay that thing, you know. And you, you think about that concept, um, but not just in a judicial t- concept, but like in a I guess in a spiritual way, you know. He he really was there. And you think of the idea of Christ saying, um, uh, "Whoever receives you receives me," you know. And we kind of think of that like hey, that's just an authority thing, you know. Like it's it's, it's good, you know. It's it's um, it's you can write that down as a legit thing. But I wonder if there's more than that. In that he's saying that when you when when they receive you. I am actually there. I am actually, you know, in this interaction, you know, and it's, it's, it's like, I'm there, you know, he's not there exactly, but, um, it's, it's like, it's like he is there. Um, Hank had this, this talk with Metropolitan Francis Chan. Um, I think it's called, uh, humility being the key to unity. And one of the things he mentions in that is that the church is the pinnacle of history and everything that centers around that. Now I happen to think, so, um, I know we've had 2000 years of church, but I kind of think that, the church actually goes back all the way, um, well, really to Adam and Eve. Like they, they were the first church, if you will. You know, um, they, they, were, they were given their, their place and invited to God's home, the garden, you know, if you will, and um, uh, given their, their labor of love for him to do all sorts of things. Um, but there has always been the ecclesia, the community uh, in that. Now, the words were changed, you know, for, and you know, we, we think it seems different things, but I think, if we, when you see the children of Israel, that basically was a, an Old Testament church, if you will. And I happen to think that when they interact with God in the Old Testament, that's actually Jesus. And there's reasons for that. I don't have time to go into it now. You know, that's a whole, <laughs> I remember other, them all. That's a whole other video, yeah. <laughs> so um, I kind of think that the church has been the thing, the vehicle, the emphasis through all of history, through all of scripture, um, through, yeah, through all of, all of time, basically. Um, Christ being the, the head, the life, the, um, the founder uh, of, of the church, you know, and he, us being the body of it. So I think you can't really, I, I, in a sense, I think that without church, everything's meaningless. Hmm. I think that everything centers around the church, around Christ's church, about being the church, um, about helping people find the church and being a part of the church, you know, God's family. Um, God's lifeboat, uh, if you will. 
and uh, being a part of the worship of the church, you know, the worship that's always been there, always been intended to be there, and has been has been kept there all the way through. Um, the Old Testament church, if you will, having the, the the shadow of that worship, but the New Testament church having the the in a sense the redeemed versions of all of those, you know. So obviously, circumcision became baptism and Passover as the uh, Eucharist, and um, all the other ones as well. Um, so I think there are other ones too, you know, <laughs> overlap there. You know, people use terms, they say, um, I don't know why they say this, um, and I agree in some extent, they say things like, um, Jesus didn't tell us to plant churches, but to make disciples, and, and I get that, um, and they say church is, it's about all the people, you know, and, the, and, and not the building, and I get that, but I, I think what they lose when they say it's not about planting churches, but about discipleship, and, and well, both those things, is it kind of takes away a bit of the community aspects, and makes it a very um individualistic gospel in very individual gospel which i'm not i'm not sure is very biblical you know I, I think it has been always been about the the ecclesia the community you know the um you see the book of hebrews it's written saying to everyone the whole group that they watch out lest any one person be defiled by an evil heart and belief you know it's all kind of written to a community even the scriptures when you think about it we read them in our you know i read it in my bedroom whatever by myself but if you think about it and how scriptures came to be they were letters written by apostles or personal apostles, and then they were read out in the ancient church liturgy at a, at a, on a Sunday service, you know, in the liturgical service. It was, it was written for the sake of really being read out to the whole church in the context of the church, like as the, the, um, the, the book of the church. And so um, while, while I get the idea of it's not about planning churches and making disciples, I think the best way to make disciples is church, <laughs> you know, I, I think it is church, you know, and you think about what Jesus said, he said, yeah, Go and um, preach gospel every time, tribe, tongue, and nation. Baptize, name of the Father and Holy Spirit, and um, teach and obey all things I commanded. Um, that really is template for church. And if you don't have church, you can't really fully accomplish all those things. I don't think you know. Um, and the idea of um, the church isn't about the building; it's the people. I I, I do agree. Like we, the, the people are the temple of God, uh, and um, we are the we are God's church. Whatever it is the people. Um, but what I think they throw away is the the meeting of the people in that building you know it's, it's the being together um is a is is the is the church i think and we are the church as we're separate but we are designed to be together we're designed for being with one another um, i think oh, yeah, that's anyway. oh that's great and just just uh, one quick quote there uh, there's a guy who taught he says uh, the disciples response to the great commission was, was not just to evangelize but to congregationalize and i, I like that uh, um, so yes, uh, evangelists go and share the good news of Jesus, but they do that through like planting churches and kind of out of that, uh, the sharing Christ within that. Angie. Well, I was just going to say off the back of, again, what, what JP was saying and what, um, what we've sort of been talking about. Um, so often, I think we in the West like things to be black and white. Um, like either it always is or it always isn't if you know what I mean and so how can you say the church building is important when so many people don't have one ah you know and it's it's this scary thing like but that's that's not black or white what do you do with that you know but actually like if you take a less sort of black and white view and you say it is good you know to have church I know there are people out there who don't and that's okay too, you know, <laughs> then it becomes more clear, you know, kind of what, what I think um, the Bible is trying to talk about when it, when it talks about, um, you know, church and um, coming together as, um, I can't even remember how you pronounced it. I say Ecclesia. What did Ecclesia. you say? I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I just took it. Yeah, guess. you pronounced it different to how I would, but that's just great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think so often we, um, you know, even even with, you know, when we are reading through the Bible, we kind of forget um, context and we forget, you know, all these different things that play in, you know, that, it, that it's not really meant to be so black and white sometimes, you know. Uh, sometimes it is, like, don't worship idols. Okay, that's, that's a black and white thing. Don't do that, you know. But there are certain areas where it is sort of more like, this is good, you know, but it doesn't mean you have to, you know, if that, if that kind of makes sense. So, mm. yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And, you know, and I think that kind of you know, one of the reasons we wanted to get you guys on is because we want to hear. It's important for us to hear uh, what God's doing through his church around the world. And, and you know, churches around the world don't always look like 
the ones we're part of. In fact, as we look throughout church history, oftentimes churches don't look like um, <laughs> the churches that we belong to. Um, but we want we want to be about God's vision for for His church, um, and and ask you know and asking of of the scriptures what what is that what is it that God wants of us as His people. Uh, thank you so much, both of you. It's it, for me. It's been uh, amazingly encouraging and thought provoking. And I've got tons more questions that I want to ask and tons of things that are going around my head. But we should we should uh, end this. Um, but thank you uh, to, to JP and Angie. Thank you to those who've been listening. Hope this just helps as we think through uh, mission and worship, what it is to be church, what it is to be disciples of Christ. Uh, and let's be let's let's heed this advice of think church always, uh, because church is that that body, the body the bride of Christ. And um, thank you and see ya. Bye-bye. Thanks, Sam. Bye.